Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. This week and next week on the Backstage Show, we're going to be finishing out our third season Getting into details about rehearsals. Yes, and today we are recording at Glenn's Place together for the first time in quite a while. Yeah, I believe so. I'm trying to think, have we even done this? Not at all. Not at all for this season. I believe last time we did this was early season two when we were interviewing Keith. I think that was the only time that we've actually recorded in uh, Malvern Studio A. Uh, perhaps, but we've also recorded at the infamous, uh, site of the power washing. Yes. Malvern Studio B. Yes. For the end of season one. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, stop. Enough with the waxing nostalgic. Yes. Although you can certainly go back and listen to that episode or any others you've missed. They should all be available on iTunes. I think that is true. However, I have noticed, and general Mm -hmm. disclaimer I'll throw out there, I have noticed that some of the other... Uh, outlets where our episodes are located, some of the earlier ones are missing. Yeah, so we have two different sources that they pull from. iTunes pulls from the main source. I believe Google Podcasts pulls from the main source as well. So those should have every back episode, but there's some, including I think Spotify and maybe one other that uh, pulls from our secondary source, which only goes back uh, I'd say like two thirds of them, I think, are there somewhere. Well, I think Spotify only starts around episode 31 last time I checked. Okay. I think that's actually where I started that secondary source. Okay. Regardless, and you can Stitcher get them. goes back a, little, a bit further, but not all the way to the beginning, I believe. Okay. Well, I guess your mileage may vary then, but iTunes and I believe Google Podcasts, you can get everything on there. All right. Well, that's kind of important to bring up because uh, today's. And the next episode's discussion kind of relates to an earlier episode that we did way back when, episode 11. Yes. Where in talking about starting to direct, we went over a format uh, for a rehearsal schedule. Yeah, we went over a little bit, uh, particularly about scheduling rehearsals. We're going to get a little more in depth now. and A lot more in depth. Oh, yeah, I guess a lot more in depth because <laughs> it's going over two episodes. That's right. So, yeah, we talked about scheduling and things like that there. So you can certainly go back to uh, episode 11 for that. I'd recommend maybe it might be uh, worthwhile if you you do have a source that has that episode available. Maybe listen Mm -hmm. to that first before continuing on with these episodes. Indeed. So when you get started with your rehearsals, usually the first thing you're going to be doing is a read through of the script. That's going to be generally the first time you'll get the uh, the entire cast and crew together and Possibly the last time until you get close to tech week. Yeah, that kind of depends on the rehearsal schedule that's been Mm -hmm. put together and the format of the show insofar as how many scenes have the entire cast together and how soon are you going to get to rehearsing those scenes. Exactly. It's kind of like a size of cast thing, like you said. So with a larger cast, not everybody is in every scene together, so you might not get all of those people into one rehearsal together. For a while, at least. Uh I think uh, recent shows I've directed that has been very true. I might not have mm. everybody together for maybe a month or more after the read through. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I think it's I think that's more common. I, I think it's pretty uncommon unless you're dealing with, you know, like a cast of four people or something like that. And yeah. you know, with that, like a true West, you know, you've got two people at every rehearsal, but the other two are don't need to be there much at all. And even no, that's so true. it's not necessarily size of cast. It's pretty much just who has a scene together. Yeah, I, that's the uh driving factor, I Mm -hmm. think, more so. But at any rate, it's frequently, it's the point at which everybody first gets their scripts. So kind of doing the read-through itself is 
basically a prolonged cold read. More or less, yeah. I mean, you may have some actors that are more familiar with the script than others, but that's just a crapshoot. Sure, yeah. Some people may have read the full play already and were did their research, and others mm-hmm. might be kind of coming into this cold for the first time. Yep. And then you've got the whole decision, like, is somebody going to read the stage directions as you're reading through it? <laughs> Usually I do at least a partial stage direction read because it's if particularly if it is a cold read like that, they might not be familiar with the general makeup and where who's going where when. Yeah, that's something that's good for either, say, the director or stage manager to do. Yep, that's and, usually what I have. But you don't necessarily have to go crazy with it and read every little... No, you don't need all the detail. You like, know, you line know. reading or... Yeah, or if stuff. it's just, you know, uh, uh, Jim smiling. Yeah, exactly. Hi, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm Jim. <laughs> it's also a good point to um, kind of do administrative stuff, like mm-hmm. talk about if people have to sign up to become members of the theater, depending on what the theater yeah. rules are. Yeah. I mean, um, I find a lot of that stuff is kind of covered at auditions. They'll usually mention that, but it's a good time to solidify that and, okay, go, okay, now you're cast. You do need to become a member. Yep. And I mean, it, yeah, it just introduces people to the theater rules and, and I mean, oftentimes the theater itself. Yeah, it's been pretty common for many shows I've been a part of that for any newcomers yeah. in a particular cast that are new to that theater, exactly. uh, will get a tour of the theater. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've had like people who I've cast at Barley Sheep for their first show. Of course, the first thing you got to do is show them the ladders that you used to get up on oh, stage. Gosh. So That yeah. should be a disclaimer right up front. Sometimes it is. It kind of depends. I mean... Sometimes you don't necessarily have to use them and you can be planted backstage and just sit back there the whole time. I know actors who do that, who have trouble getting up and down those ladders. But other times, like if it's an older cast or that kind of thing, they they will mention it. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's highly unusual, that setup. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty unusual. I mean, I don't even think about it. I don't even think of them as ladders. I just think of them as very steep stairs. But uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm used to them. If you were to describe them as stairs to somebody who saw them for the first time, they'd probably yes. be a little shocked, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's more, it's not like it's a ladder <laughs> with rungs or anything like that. It's It's two by fours. But it is kind of ladder-like, I yeah. suppose. Anyway, so that's a great time to show people around, get people acclimated to the space available. Mm-hmm. And speaking of great times, I'm going to take this little pause and just mention, if you hear strange sounds in the background of this episode, we're going to do our best to eliminate them. But being that we're in the Malvern studio, and I have a preschooler running about, you may occasionally hear a little voice in the background. You may also occasionally hear a little meowing voice. Like that. Right on cue. <laughs> and that's just my my cat's a little more vocal than, than Jim's cat. So just ignore that. But at least you shouldn't hear any power washing. Yes, since we are inside. And, <laughs> and no birds because my windows are closed. And uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I closed them last time yes, after yes, you said you something. <laughs> I think that only survived to the outtakes. <laughs> Anywho, so yeah, uh, newcomers, tours of the uh, theater. I find uh, it's a good else? time to go over the schedule just to... You know, yeah. bring in, it to people's consciousness. In as much as you have it, and, uh, you know, the specifics, I guess, aren't always settled by then, I, or at least when I direct. It depends on how much time I've had to prepare. If I usually have it pretty locked down by the time of the read-through. Yeah, when I've had, like, you know, the first show of the season, which I've done a couple of times, and you've only got, like, a couple of months of lead for that, I don't mm. always have it completely prepared. But yeah, if it's later in the season, I'll usually have a better idea. But I mean, that's also dependent on actor conflicts and that sort of thing, so... You don't well, always have the chance to get it all nailed down. Yes, except 
the uh, format of audition forms that I've most frequently dealt with actually asks for people to write down their conflicts. Oh, I agree. But even with that, you might only have like two days between the decision and, and the read through. So you might not have time okay. to, to get it together there. I find I find from my past experience that I typically have held the read through the week after auditions. Mm-hmm. So will usually give me a little bit of time to plan that part. But what I like to do, if possible, is have the read through and tr- if it works out to try to have some kind of a break before rehearsals actually start, like maybe okay. a couple of weeks. The reason for that, that I would like to do that when I can is just because, as we said earlier, it might be the first time that the full cast has their scripts. Right. So it just gives them a time, chance to read through the play and get sure. a little more familiar with it before we actually really hit the stage or anything like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, that's kind of uh, just built into a schedule, whether you've got that uh, ability or not. I, I think a yeah. lot of times when I'm dealing with, I'm like counting out my rehearsals and going, okay, well, I don't really, I know I'm going to have to take a break here. So I don't really mm-hmm. have time to take that break up front. I agree with that though. That's a nice thing to be able to do if you can. If if time allows. Yeah. The other nice thing to do during the actual read through is record it. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously questions as to rights and that sort of thing, but I know a lot of people, myself included, use uh, audio to learn their lines. Yeah. It's just, that's really the only way I can do it is listen to them over and over again. And if you have one or more people in your cast who work the same way, then it's an opportunity to just record everything, you know, audio and give people, you know, if you've got a decent setup, you can actually record everybody separately and give them just their lines or, or what have you. Well, but that's you a can, little elaborate. Well, yeah. <laughs> but at the very least, you can have an audio recording of the whole show and then just go, here you go, and they can edit it down as they need it. Yeah. And, you know, rights issues aside, mm-hmm. it really is just meant to be a tool specifically for the cast just Absolutely. to help them learn their lines. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the, only, the only purpose. the only point of it. That's, that's the only purpose that we're talking about here is is to do that. And I've I've only had a couple of shows, I think, where that's been pulled off that I've been in. I'm not sure if I've given people the option when I've directed to say, hey, uh, you know, do we want to record this for people? I'm not sure if I've done that. It's a good idea. Yeah, I, I <laughs> agree. I, I don't, I can't remember the first show I was involved with where that was done. I typically haven't, you know, initiated a recording mm-hmm. of a read through. I think it was probably a show that I, some shows that I've acted in. Somebody yeah, did that, that. that's what it's been in for me as well. And then they distributed the recording to whoever wanted it. Exactly. To help learn lines. I have kind of followed my own process for learning lines of recording, doing my own recording, just me mm-hmm. reading all the lines. That's that's what I usually end up doing. And then I have my my famed Lancaster loop that I drive. <laughs> for some reason, I found that the best way for me personally to learn lines is to record them and then listen to them while I'm and while I'm in the car. Right. Yeah. And I don't know I've why that is. I feel like it's okay. I need like a drive that I don't really have to think about and worry about directions, just something that I'm familiar with driving. So I don't have to think about the driving other than the mechanics of it. <laughs> Stopping, braking, you know. Yes. Avoiding beeping, hitting other people, honking. that sort of thing. <laughs> but other than that, like, you know, not worrying about directions and then I can concentrate more on the lines. And I basically just have it separated into like these little tracks and I listen to it and put that track on repeat until I have it memorized. Yeah. I talk along with myself. Do track scene by scene or whatever yep. makes sense. Yeah. Scene by scene, bit by bit, depending on what, what it is. There have been times where I've had long speeches that I've separated into several tracks okay. just for that. But, it used to be easier when I had a much longer commute to uh, exactly to That's, basically drive to rehearsal from work and mm-hmm. go over lines in the car. 
I think that's when I started doing that when I was living in Delaware and doing theater in Phoenixville and I had like a 40 minute drive just to get to the theater. Yeah, that's a perfect opportunity yeah. to. And then I eventually developed the Lancaster Loop, which is <laughs> somewhere around, you know, in the Malvern area out to the Lancaster area and back in this big loop because it's not, you know, I don't just turn around and come back. It's two different roads that I take. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what I do. <laughs> well, I think that kind of sums up the read through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, then from there, I mean, it, it it's kind of director dependent what type of rehearsal you move on to from yeah. there i mean we, we've broken down the rehearsal types where you've got yeah. you know blocking rehearsals character discussions tech rehearsals yeah I, we full run-throughs covered that sort all of that thing. yeah yeah we want to maybe get into that a little bit more detail like we mentioned this i'm i believe in the previous episode but mm. 90 to 95 percent of the shows that i think we've both been involved with kind of would go into blocking rehearsals yeah first. i think blocking rehearsals are the most common thing that you jump into after the read through the second probably being like a character discussion right i've it, had a couple of shows that did that first and i think there's i mentioned this in the previous episode but i think there's probably some debate over whether it's a good idea to start with blocking mm-hmm. it kind of just seems to be the default mode I think, uh, at far, as least as far as community theater goes, I think that's just the most convenient and easiest way to go. Because okay. if you start, I tend to save the character discussions when I'm directing for when there are conflicts and not everybody can be there. Because it's blocking, I feel it's more important to have everybody there because otherwise you're blocking around invisible bodies. Well, sometimes you have to do that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you have to, that's one thing. But I think it's easier to discuss around an invisible character so to speak than it is well, to block around depends an on the characters body. though i think you know they could be yeah it might be important to have those people as part oh, of the discussion i'm not saying it's not important but i'm just saying it's easier to do without it i mean you can direct an entire show and never have a rehearsal that covers character discussions you don't necessarily have to have that i think True. it's helpful yeah well it maybe maybe this is a kind of thing that depends on the nature of the show. Yeah, it depends on the nature of the show, the nature of the director, the nature of the actors even, because some of them, some actors are kind of useless with character discussions and they, don't, <laughs> they either don't need it, don't want it, don't care about it. Or I, I, I play a butler, I come on for two lines. How much depth do you want me to have? Exactly. Well, what did your butler eat for breakfast? <laughs> Scrapple. I don't know. Does it matter? Well, it might. It might. I, but, yeah. so, I, I, I will mean, agree I, sometimes that can get to levels of in- inanity. Yeah, I've had directors that want you to write an entire background for yeah. your character. And I'm like, I, I'm that actor that's just like, really, do we need to do this? I, but there are other times where I look at it and go, okay, well, I need to know a little bit more about this character. And it's good to get that additional thought process. In yeah, there. I can see where it can inform some of your character choices. Mm-hmm. By just thinking that through and conceiving this as a person with three dimensions. Yeah, as opposed to what's on the paper. Right. You know, if you're dealing with a straight up comedy or a farce, that kind of thing tends to be a little less developed and what's on the page might be more important. But when you're dealing with uh, The Crucible or something like that, you might want to dig a little more in depth. Yeah. uh, And maybe this kind of ties into when is it most suitable to really start with blocking? I think shows that are perhaps more action-driven or plot-driven, mm-hmm. like a farce. Yes. Where there's a lot of physicality and perhaps even to levels of choreography, then yeah, it seems like blocking to start with is natural. It's a no-brainer. Right. When you're dealing with a farce, you're dealing with a lot of putting on a successful farce, in my opinion at least, is 
having the lines down cold and having the blocking down cold because and the timing of everything. Yeah, I mean that's uh, to me that's part of it. The timing's all, all it's part like of clockwork. That. Yeah, it is. And and if you know your it character would, opens a door too late, then the other door is going to close too late, and it, and it can throw everything off. Yeah, and within that kind of a show format, that's way more important than really giving an honest appraisal of what the butler ate for breakfast that morning. Yes. <laughs> but there are other shows that are more character-driven or internally driven mm-hmm. where they lend themselves more towards perhaps being more analytical. And you could make an argument to say that under ideal circumstances or more ideal circumstances that going up and just moving around isn't, isn't necessarily the best place to start. Right. Isn't necessarily as important or as key to a successful production if you're dealing with a drama or just something that's, I, I, I think where you're going with this, it's like if it's plot driven or action driven, then blocking might be the best place to start. If it's character driven and something where the characters develop and have a more clear arc, then there might be benefits to starting with a character discussion. Yeah. And as we go into kind of approaches for blocking a show in a little bit, I think some of those approaches lend themselves to maybe more exploration of the characters before that happens. Yeah. Depending on which blocking method you're using, it might lend itself to, okay, this is how this character is going to move. Yeah. I mean, well, well, let's, let's get into the, uh, the the different types of blocking before we do that. Just mm. pointing out that there are other constraints to deal with as far as, you know, realistically, logistically speaking, mm-hmm. the space you have available to work in, yeah. you may be confined by that as that far is as true. when it's available, when you can use it. That's the other thing with those character discussions. Usually, like, as I said, I'll either leave them for when there's conflicts in there with the actors or if there's conflicts with the space and we have to be like, okay, well, we're going to need an offsite rehearsal. So why doesn't everybody come to my house and we'll talk about the characters? Yeah, and it's not necessarily just is the space available. Mm-hmm. Maybe the show is highly dependent upon having the set in place doors, to some degree. Doors, doors, Yeah, so <laughs> even if you have the space available, there might not be mm-hmm. a whole lot you can actually do with it until you have achieved a certain level of the set construction. Yes, if you don't have your doors and sardines. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it's all about, doors <laughs> yes. and sardines. Getting on, getting off, getting the sardines on, getting the sardines off. And I'll stop now before I get... Uh, uh, infringed or something. <laughs> so for those wondering what we're talking about, go read Noises Off. <laughs> that is a uh, classic. Well, we've talked about it before, but that's a classic farce. And then it does go into all, all about the doors and the sardines. And really, <laughs> if you don't if you don't have those props, if you don't have those doors, you know, we're talking about starting with blocking on the farce, but you still have to have a lot of work. I think that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm like not completing any sentences here, but I think that's one of the reasons that you that it's beneficial to start with blocking on a farce is you get your blocking only to a certain level and then you really can't take it that the final 10 yards until you've got that set in place. Yeah. So that makes a difference if you're prepared to go those final 10 yards. Sorry for the sports reference. If you're prepared to, to finish up with that, it's going to be a lot easier to get into that in the last two weeks of rehearsal, which is when you've got all your doors. If you've already gotten like, okay, well, here's where a door is and here's where I open and close it. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so different types of blocking. Yeah. Okay. So the way I broke this out and 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 explained to Jim, <laughs> Jim basically knew exactly what I was talking about. Jim has part. no idea what he's doing. So <laughs> neither do I. <laughs> I. The way I look at it is there's basically three different ways to approach your blocking rehearsals. There's the tell method, the show method, and the organic method. 
Okay, and what are those? So briefly, and we'll go into these in more detail, the tell method is where the director tells their actors where to go and when to to go there. And I've probably relied on that most I as think a that's, director. I think that's most common. The show method would be where the actors sit and watch and the director goes up and basically walks through the blocking and shows them where they're going. As all the characters? As all the characters, yes. Wow. I've had directors do this. And then the organic method is you basically tell the actors, go where you, you know, move when you think it's good to move, go where you think you need to go. And I I usually use a combination of the tell and the organic method because I kind of, I like that organic method where the actors are kind of getting into their characters and feeling when they need to stand up and sit down and feeling where they need to move around. And that just tends to get a more natural rhythm to things. Well, circling back around to what we were talking about Mm. a few minutes ago, I feel that if you're going to take the organic method approach, or if you have the kind of play that lends itself to that, then having more of the analytical discussions prior to that That can can be be beneficial. because it gives people a better sense of that character. Exactly. They can kind of think through that whole process and then get a better sense of their own instincts matching the character's instincts. Yeah, agreed. As far as when to move, when Mm -hmm. would be appropriate to move. Yeah. But I still feel when I'm directing, there are still certain moments where I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to pin down this line. And on this line, this character needs to sit down and these people need to be over here. So I'll be like, okay, on page 42, I need you to be upstage left and I need you to be sitting down center stage. And I'll be like, however you get there is up to you. And then I'll let them know if it doesn't seem right. Yeah, I I find... Certain plays lend themselves a little bit better to that than Mm -hmm. others. If you have a play with a large cast, meaning a large number of people on stage at one time, that can get messy really fast, I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's usually like, I would say four or fewer actors on stage at once. I'll be more inclined to use that. If you're dealing with a, you know, six, eight characters on stage at the same time, they're going to be walking into each other. Yeah, exactly. Or upstaging or blocking each other yep or themselves and i mean that happens even even with three or four actors that that happens sometimes and i'll have to fix things or i've also dealt you know some actors are more inclined to be comfortable with that than others and i'll have other actors that need to be told where they're going when and need they need you to walk them through that whole blocking sequence that is the reality that uh different people have different approaches and processes so you i if you're a really good director which neither of us are no um (laughs) then a really good director can figure out how to cater to individuals' unique approaches and mm-hmm. to be able to get, get the best results out of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've adapted to that over the years. It, it took me a while where I'm like on, all right, I told him to just move on his own. Why is he standing in one spot? And then I realize, okay, well, this particular actor. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not good either. I, I've worked with some excellent, excellent actors who just prefer to be told they're blocking. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with some crappy actors who move very naturally. So you just, you never know what it's going to be. So you do need to to be on your toes and whatever approach to blocking you're taking, you need to be adaptable and you need to, well, I mean, adapt it to, to the particular actors that you're dealing with. And it's going to be different for different actors within the same show even. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. And mm-hmm. this is something I have struggled with, I think, through different shows in which I've been involved. Should movement be encouraged? And the reason I bring that up is mm-hmm. how interesting is it going to be for the audience to to be watching a bunch of people sitting around talking and not doing anything? I think that depends on the scene and what's going on. 
you know, if you have actors come out, sit down on a couch, lights come up, and they are sitting for the entire scene, that's going to get boring. Exactly. So I think movement to some extent needs to be encouraged, but you don't want to do it to the point that they're just like standing up, circling the couch, sitting back down for without no apparent reason. reason. So I tend to look for lines where I'm like, okay, all right, this is a stand line. Yeah. This line you need to stand up on, or this is a sit line. I look for those lines that require emphasis. Yeah. And while I think instinctually I used to think that standing up or sitting while you're talking is going to be distracting, that actually puts more of a stress on the line rather than distracting from it. I'm kind of working through that right now with the show that I'm directing and mm-hmm. blocking. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of scenes that left her their own devices would just be a bunch of people sitting around talking. Yeah. I mean, it does happen. And there's some shows where it kind of works with that. But I do try to get some movement. I, I think it's hardest when you're dealing with like just two people sitting on a couch and talking. Yeah. <laughs> That's difficult to be like, okay, well, I need motivation to get them up. You know, do they cross over and get a glass of water or something like that? Yeah, so yeah. That's the sort of thing that can be difficult. But yeah, if it if they sit for the entire scene, that can get kind of stagnant and a little boring to watch. I've seen some directors that aren't good at having movement, but on top of that, they have actors like on opposite sides of the stage standing still. So it's like watching a ping pong match. <laughs> that drives me crazy when, when people do that. I, I try to get, if there's like a back and forth conversation I try to have the actors close enough so that the audience isn't like turning their heads back and forth for the whole scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but that's an interesting way to describe it. I can be able uh, to do that to the stereo it. effect there. <laughs> no, because it's all into one microphone. So no, it will not be a stereo effect. Unless, it, well, that's not true. I could uh, yeah, do it in post. <laughs> Fix it in post. We'll see if I, you'll be able to tell if you're listening on headphones, whether or not I've actually gone to the trouble of doing that. Yes. <laughs> the other thing I deal with, uh, with, just getting through blocking is because of the fact that you, you have the stage, your, mm-hmm. your actors are trying to avoid upstaging either themselves or each other. It can lead to some very awkward movements. Yeah. I, I tend to notice a lot of stuff like that on television. Like if you're sitting at a table, like in a, like if you've got a family of people going out to dinner, they sit at a round table and they all sit on the same side. Yeah. Of the table. <laughs> and that's the awkward thing. You've got to deal with that on stage because there is that the audience is the camera. Sure. And you don't want people sitting with their back to the audience. Right. I, I'm thinking of it more in terms of when people get up, uh, they walk in a certain direction and then mm-hmm. they have to turn around to talk ah, to the, somebody. The pivot turn. Yes. And then they, you know, the, 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 what they've been taught is, you know, to avoid turning their back to right. the audience. So, they take like the 270 degree turn yes, to talk the to the person turn. to their left. And it's, it looks ridiculous. It's tricky to make that look natural. Some people can do it and some people can't. And and if I'm watching it, I will encourage them turn, always turn downstage. So basically, that's basically what it is. When you make yeah, a turn, yeah, you're always turning, stage, yes. turn towards the audience. Right. But never turn away. But sometimes if you're crossing the stage and like you've got an actor center stage your left stage you're crossing over to right stage and then turning to talk to that actor it can be a little weird if you're downstage of them and they're upstage of you yes. and you well you shouldn't be turning upstage to them anyway <laughs> what say again so you shouldn't turn upstage to talk to somebody even if you're not facing them you should always have one foot pointing down yes yes but i think i'm thinking of examples again just going through some recent blocking mm-hmm. where i had somebody crossing across the downstage section. And then at the end of that, they had to turn to somebody who was further upstage of them. Right. 
And it just looked ridiculous when they turned downstage mm-hmm. because then go, had to go the long way around to talk to the person they wanted to talk to. Yeah. I mean, I've had stuff like that. And I, I even just talking to somebody upstage when you're there, you can end up like turning three quarters back and you don't want to do that. So you kind of face straight across and you're talking to somebody that you're not actually looking at. That can happen. Barley Sheaf, there's another example. If you have the the pole, the infamous pole right in the middle of the stage, sometimes you have somebody carrying on a conversation with the pole between them. <laughs> and you're actually at a point where you can barely see the other actor because the pole's there, but it still looks more natural to talk to the pole from the audience than it is to like move around it and like talk to the pole because your yeah. co- co-star talk- isn't listening. Yes. <laughs> I find in certain situations in brief situations, it can be a little too distracting looking for people mm-hmm. to adhere to that turn down stage yeah. rule. Sometimes it's easier just to, ignore I will give rule. people permission to ignore that rule if it looks less awkward. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, Every set is different. Every every show is different. Every set is different. Every actor is different. Every director is different. And you can take the same scene and do it three different ways. Right. And sometimes I'll go out of my way to try and avoid that. Other times it's just like, you know what? This is what works. Yep. I had, it just reminds me of uh, Dracula. And here's a story I don't think I have told before, but we had a balcony that was all the way upstage. I, I, it was, a, yeah, it was a balcony. Yeah, yeah. And it was in- It's uh, like French doors? Yeah, it was French yeah. doors. It would open to a balcony. And the wall was literally like a foot in front of you. Right. And I was painted black, so you couldn't really tell how far back it went. Right. So we had uh, Andrea, and I don't remember, is she Lucy or Mina? Lucy, I think. Lucy. So she opens the, the curtains there, I think, and she's yelling out, facing completely upstage, back to the audience, yelling at a wall, which well, is really awkward, but that's what worked. That's there wasn't what made much sense. choice, yeah. There was no choice, and that's what made sense. So she's like got to yell extra loud because- there's a wall in front of her and her back. There's a wall the absorbing the sound. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't more echoey then. Yeah. I, that that wall is not very echoey. I don't know if it's the plaster's less echoey than a uh, drywall would be. Drywall's mm. bouncier. So okay then. Maybe plaster just less echoey. So there's an actor I've worked with mm-hmm. uh, who <laughs> he uh, introduced me to the term backting. Okay. And Which it's is? when you very consciously and deliberately make exceptions to the not turning your back to the audience rule for dramatic effect. Okay. Like like that scene. So that was backting. Yeah, in a manner of speaking. Yeah. But okay. it would be also cases of perhaps trying to shift focus to the other person mm-hmm. if they're intended to be the center of attention at that point in time. Makes sense. So I found it to be kind of a funny uh, term, but... Yeah, that's uh, a good portmanteau. I mean, that's, that's something that's... It's a useful thing to do if you're doing it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there could very well be moments where, you know, rules are meant to be broken. Absolutely. So the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. So <laughs> using that for intentional effect at times may be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. One other thing yeah. to mention is that because we said earlier that the actual space may not be available until uh, who knows when, maybe mm-hmm. relatively late in the game, your availability of the space may be limited. All this blocking really needs to be adaptable. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you don't have your... you pretty much are guaranteed not to have your actual set. You may not have your actual space. You may be in a different location entirely. It depends, but so I working guess those, around that is key. Yeah, so those early blocking rehearsals are... It's never set in stone in my experience until you get into tech and start getting your all of the cues in, all of the tech cues, all of the lighting, all of the set like more or less locked down. So that tech week, you will kind of tweak the blocking a little bit at times. Yeah, I mean, an extreme example would be if you have a two-story set, yeah, let's say, and 
you're not really going to have access to a two-story rehearsal space for quite a while. Not likely. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, um, all of this is subject to change, and actors kind of have to use their imagination to some degree to be able to translate what they're doing onto the real stage. And yes. They're really not going to get a real true feel of it until no, they're there. No, absolutely not. It's unfortunate, but that's the way this that's the reality is crumbles. At least in community theater, that's the reality. So next week, we'll continue our discussion on rehearsal breakdowns. We'll, I guess, move into character discussions and tech week, uh, which we already covered to some extent, and run-throughs and all sorts of other rehearsal-related minutiae. Oh, boy. You're, 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 uh, <laughs> really you're, selling it, huh? If you're thinking about acting, maybe you're not anymore after you listen to this conversation. <laughs> Well, hopefully you are. Hopefully you're at least thinking about listening to more of our podcast. Yes, that's right. We'll be wrapping this up with our season finale next week. Yes. Well, don't don't sell it too much. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've got some ideas that uh, we can use in our upcoming, what, fourth season, I guess? That is correct. Which will be in the, probably in uh, the fall. You can send us an email at podcast at backstage.link. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Backstage Pod. Facebook, I believe, is facebook.com slash the Backstage Pod pod or you can give us a call and uh, leave us a text message or a voicemail at 267-225-8869 i almost remember remembered the number yeah it's, it's getting familiar <laughs> but not the now. other stuff did yes. i get the facebook right uh, you sure did oh great i think so wow okay <laughs> but that number again 267-225-8869 uh send us some episode ideas if you're interested in plugging any of your shows or coming on and being a guest let us know we're trying to line up things for our fourth season and uh, spending a little bit more time off than we have before to build up our our cache of ideas, I guess. <laughs> We've uh, covered everything. Yeah. Not really. In, uh, we have not covered everything, i In 59, I'm sure, coming up on 60 episodes, we've covered a lot, so... There's only so much Glenn only so and much I actually we can talk know. About. Yeah. <laughs> and if we and that's debatable. If we don't get anything else, we're going to have to change the topic of our podcast, and nobody wants that. Nobody even wants this. (laughs) But here it is, and here it was, and until next time, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And thank you for joining us backstage. Bye-bye. I could have done this at home. I I feel like I'm Dungeon Master now. (laughs) (laughs) Then we need more players, your, your I think. Your party has encountered a troll. Careful, don't knock your beer over. Hello, well, hello, hello. Counts Hi, of... I'm Glenn. Hi, I'm Glenn. Hi, I'm Glenn. Hi, I'm Glenn. Are you sure? Hi, I'm Glenn. Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm... You can imitate me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. <laughs> Hi, Ollie. Hi, he's Ollie. Yeah, Somebody's making the outtakes. <laughs> Let's talk to our man on the street. <laughs> He's standing outside the line waiting for the opening night of the anticipated Taming of the Shrew with Delaware Foot Stompers and media. I mean, we want to record you, but not on the, on the show. Eventually, mankind will have large heads and big hands and fingers and that's all they'll need so i guess there's the whole um once hi hi ollie hi ollie yeah
And I don't have the page with the phone number on it. I'll pick it up. <laughs> Say something else, I'll find it. Brought blot a bit. Can you, right in here, can you say, hi, I'm Ollie, and welcome to the backstage show? Can you say, hi, I'm Ollie? Can you say, I'm Ollie? <laughs> I'm missing that clipped. Can you say anything? <laughs> Actually, it didn't clip. Can you say, welcome? Welcome to the backstage show. No? No. Okay. He's microphone shy. Yeah.